Welcome to Leading with Empathy and Allyship, where we have deep, real conversations to build empathy for one another and to take action to be more inclusive and to lead the change in our workplaces and communities. I'm Melinda Brianna Epler, founder and CEO of Change Catalyst and author of How to Be an Ally. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion speaker, advocate, and advisor. You can learn more about my work and sign up to join us for a live recording at ally.cc. All right, let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Today, we're talking with my dear friend, Kelly Hoey, author of Build Your Dream Network, about networking, how women network differently, and how we can all be better allies for women with that knowledge. Hello, friend. How are you? I am so well. It is so good to be here with you. Likewise. Likewise. And um, for those of you listening and watching, Kelly has been a great ally of mine, actually, over the years, and a friend and ally both, and to my husband, Wayne Sutton, as well. I'm really glad to have this conversation with you. Well, and you guys have been allies and champions, and I'm delighted to call you friends. So this is a wonderful, I want to say it feels like reunion or full circle. So it's good to be here. Well, will you start by telling us a bit about your story? Uh, who are you? Where did you grow up? And how did you get to be doing what you do? I've been thinking about this question quite a bit because I typically look back at my upbringing and think about it in a very, as being very unremarkable. And I think when you're up close to something, you look at it that way. I grew up in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. I went to public school, went to the local university, went to law school in Vancouver, very much, you know, felt like a comfortable little conveyor belt, maybe of, of life and growing up. But when I step back and think about it, uh, how remarkable that type of upbringing is now to think about being able to be brought up in a single parent household, go to university, come out without a lot of debt, you know, the access to healthcare, quality public education. But that upbringing didn't give me a lot of imagination, frankly, Melinda, and what I was going to do with my life. Uh, I went to law school because getting a professional degree was expected, mm. uh, or at least of me. My brothers got away without doing that for many years. Uh, mm. And uh, then I moved to Toronto after law school. That was a very practical decision. Uh, at the time I graduated from law school back in 1991, the cost of living in Vancouver and in Toronto was about the same, and the salaries in Toronto were double, at least double. So I, this was just a matter of, you know, back of the envelope math, you know, where are you going to pursue your law degree? Mm, Toronto, because they pay more. So mm -hmm. I'm, <laughs> I moved to Toronto. And as life would happen, met someone who was from New York City, moved to New York in 1998, grew tired of my first career, which led to moving into management. And then through, I don't know, proactively taking more control over my career, I ended up where I am now, uh, which is, again, nothing I ever imagined doing. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Well, as you pointed out, author of the book, Build Your Dream Network, and that is you know, finally reflecting back on my entire career from when it started in 1991, and what were the patterns and behaviors I had undertaken to grow successfully in my first career, make career transitions. And then, as I like to say, put my career in front of serendipity. 
So I am the author of that book. I do a lot of public speaking on networking and network building. And all of this has led to an analysis and thinking about, because Build Your Dream Network is for audiences generally, but really thinking about how women need different networks and a different network structure than men. So now I'm in the midst of researching for my second book, which will be yeah, this sort of a companion, a sister book, so to speak, to the mm. first one, uh, and uh, building upon actually some of the case studies in the first book. But there is some interesting social science research on how women need different networks to be successful. Awesome. I want to get to that. But first, can we talk a little bit about networking and why, why networking? Why have you focused on that? Why is that important? Well, I used to never focus on it. Yeah. I, I frankly, you know, sometimes, some, some, and, and not, not, not in the way of I didn't network, but it didn't seem to me is like something that was of interest to talk about. And so, one of the lessons I often say to people is like, think about what your network asks from you. What do they come to you for? What is that thing you do with such ease that you don't think it's special because it actually could be your special sauce. Uh, a funny story, a boss of mine from back sort of 2004, 2005, six, seven, you know, somewhere in there, Tim. So, you know, we're talking a, a good 10, 12, 14 years ago at this point. Hmm. So Tim said to me when we started working together, he said, um, Kelly, you need to tell people what you do. You need to tell people and explain to them how you network because you do this differently. And I told him he was an idiot and it was the stupidest thing <laughs> I'd ever heard of. <laughs> uh, yes, I did have to eat crow and come back to him and thank him at the, in the acknowledgements to my book. But it never occurred to me that I did something in a new and different and special way. So it was almost 10 years after he had made that comment that I finally had that massive desire to write a book and talk about networking. And the funny thing was my network turned to me and with a big sigh of relief and said, we've been waiting for you to do this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you catch up to your network uh, as opposed to your network catching up with you. So uh, that's why I sort of started to focus on networking because my network really signaled to me that I needed to do that. Yeah, I feel that sometimes our networks really push us to go where we should be going and uh, where they sometimes um, people within our networks know know us and, and know kind of see our path better than we can sometimes see our path. So I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things one of, um, one of the members of my network or one of my close connections has shared with me is and she came to this point during a career change and she turned to her network and said, what do you think I'm good at? And it's a great question to ask people in your network because the answer may just surprise you. And it is exactly as you say, your network often sees more in you than you see in yourself. And I think that, that there are people within our networks that have vantage points that we don't have to further along in their careers um, in different parts of their careers where they can see possibilities that we can't see too. I think that's one of the beauties of networks as well. Good networks. Well, yes, I'm going to say a good network is always a diverse one uh, and mm. a diverse one based mm. on experience, uh, sector, 
age, career path, like all of those pieces, because we can get in our own little funnel. I mean, the little, I would say, narrow worldview that I had growing up in Victoria and my parents' worldview, I mean, that I went to law school in Vancouver and heaven forbid I pursued a legal career in Toronto. I'm a ferocious disappointment. I mean, I think they really, Hmm. really wished at one point in my career (laughs) that I had gone to university, you know, undergraduate in Victoria, law degree in Victoria, and then got a job in Victoria and, you know, didn't leave, you know, the womb that is that world. Um, So, yeah, your network, well-intentioned as it can be, can really put some blinders and and really in being well-meaning can shelter you from greater possibilities for yourself. Talk a little bit about how, how networking what, what is a good network first? Let's start there. What is a good network? What is a good network? And, and then specifically, let's, let's talk about how networks are different, whether you're a woman or a man, or maybe a success, I think successful woman uh, in particular is what you're looking at. Yeah. So, and I love that you're using the word network and it just, just clarify for everybody that we're talking about, you know, the noun, you know, what is, what is this community you can tap into as opposed to the verb Yeah, go out and network, you know, that activity. Well, let's talk about the noun because that's really what I'm interested in, in how we build a community of people around our lives and careers so that we are supported and enriched and we can reach our fullest potential. People who know us, trust us and love us, uh, they're the ones who are going to support us and give us opportunities uh, as opposed to, you know, random strangers um, who, you know, we toss pitches at and wonder why we don't get a response. Mm-hmm. So in, term- <laughs> in terms of a good network, uh, we've hinted at it a little bit. It's, it's a diverse network. It is a network that includes close as well as acquaintance relationships It is a network that includes a range of opinions and experiences. Uh, You want to step out of echo chambers. You want to have space to spread your wings. And you can't do that if you spend all your time, you know, with the same people in the same industry who had the same life experience, grew up on the same street, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, a good thing to always do is an audit of your network. And does it have enough range in it that you feel that you are, you know, able to tap into other corners where you may want to pursue things and that you're getting, I'm saying a circle of advice that, you know, can help you make healthy decisions for your business, your life, your career. There's a statistic that 75% of white people have only white friends. And I suspect that also extends into our networks as well. So it's it's really important on, on both sides. And um, in terms of white people having more diverse networks of, of folks really informing us and, um, and helping us, supporting us, and also being there for other people within our networks that are from diverse identities and backgrounds. Uh, I think both of those are are really important. So sometimes that means we have to uh, spend a little more time and uh, energy and and like like Kelly said, really go further, go deeper, and find new networks, find new people to bring into our networks. Yeah, and also thinking about what networking is differently because mm-hmm. we've often thought of networking in that 
kind of hierarchical, someone who is higher up the corporate ladder or more experienced is who we network with because they're the person who is going to be able to, you know, deliver value. You know, if I Mm. put it in that sort of old networking sense, rather than thinking our opportunities and insights can come from anywhere. So for people who need to diversify the network, because they do realize that, you know, EGADS, it's filled with a bunch of people who only look like me, you know, where can you volunteer? Where can you mentor? Where are affinity groups? Where can you contribute? Where you can you can be of service? Because those are opportunities to build new relationships in a way that's often comfortable versus the old slap on a name tag and work a room kind of mm. thing. But understand by undertaking those activities, you're building relationships and diversifying your network as well. I mean, I love the fact that my network includes people who are many decades younger than I am, <laughs> right? I, 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 I love the fact that I am getting insights from them. Um, I'm thinking of one person in particular, a woman in tech, and she's like my mentor, Kelly. And, and I sort of always ping her back on Twitter and said, like, what are you talking about? You're mentoring me. Uh, so hmm. she's just bought a house and renovated it and taken on a mortgage. And I've never been brave enough to do that. So I'm thinking, you know, who's the adult in this <laughs> <laughs> in this situation? So I yeah. think understanding that, you know, that kind of dynamic of networking has been disrupted, if we want to use that kind of startup mm-hmm. and tech kind of language. And so when you think about networking, understand that how you undertake it and who can help you on your path in this lifetime could be anyone who is within your orbit. So, you know, kind of being open to those relationships is a, is a smart move. And what are you finding the differences are between women networking and men? What is our, and women's networks and men's networks? Well, I'm glad you said networking because often enough, that's the way people ask me the question yeah, yeah, and they often think about, you know, men are off doing manly things, <laughs> you know, golf and sporting events and, you know, slugging back the beers if we want to be really stereotypical. And we think of, you know, women and how they gather and, you know, people are probably thinking spa days or whatever. Cocktails. <laughs> Cocktails that, you know, chatting, all this kind of stuff. There is actually differences in terms of, a preference on how men engage with others versus women. But what is interesting, Melinda, is it how it relates to the type of network, the structure of the network we built. Mm -hmm. So there's two types of networks. One is stereotypically associated with men in terms of its structure and activity and the other with women. The male network, and I talk about this in Build Your Dream Network, the male network is a wide, shallow network. It is one that is usually built on the basis of activity. So you think the softball league or, you know, the getting together to watch the game or there's an activity involved. Mm -hmm. It -hmm. is typically one that doesn't have a lot of depth of knowledge about the other people in it, but it is one that it is diverse because it typically casts a wider net, it cuts across more sectors and industries and things like that. So you think more of an acquaintance level network. Mm -hmm. 
you can see this, you know, probably can thinking about it, you can hear the strengths and the weaknesses, you know, yeah, in that yeah. kind of net, network structure. The network structure that's typically associated with women is a narrow, deep network. It is a network where we invest more time with fewer relationships. It is where there is a depth of experience and knowledge with those other people. So if we look at those two networks, you can see with one, if you had an emergency, like, oops, I got to pull a team together for, for something tomorrow and it's last minute, that narrow trust network, you really hope that you have that one. If, however, you were launching a new product and needed to get it into as many hands as possible, you'd really hope you had the other network, mm. broad, shallow network. Right. The, I say in Build Your Dream Network, the reality is you need both of those. Need both. Yeah, that makes sense. A healthy network has both of those. Mm. But what is really interesting is a growing body of social science research that indicates having those two networks and leveraging them in intentional and specific ways is critical for women's success. So these studies are showing that successful women have both that broad, shallow network, and in particular, they are centrally located within a broad, shallow network and information flows within their chosen career or profession. Mm -hmm. Or when they're making a career change, they find those networks and make sure that they are within those flows because that broad shallow network can gather a lot of information for you in a shorter period of time than if you'd had to go and hunt it for yourself. So mm -hmm. finding those things, being within those information flows, being able to readily verify that information without spending hours upon hours researching and digging through stuff. And for women, getting comfortable with a network that stalls at acquaintance. We like to network by getting to know people. And so it, it is a challenge, stereotypically for women, you know, the relationships that stall at acquaintance. Then the second network, that narrow, deep network for women. And I know women who are perhaps listening to our conversation will think, well, I've got those. It's like, hold on, hear me out here. Here's what the research is showing. Successful women with that narrow, deep network purposely construct an inner cohort or clique primarily of other women who have diverse non-overlapping networks. Mm -hmm. So this is a group of women that you can turn to with your career challenges. This is a group of women or business challenges. This is a group of women who understand what it is you're pursuing or trying to pursue. This is different than your best friend who you can turn to and cry on their shoulder and they tell you that, you know, everything's going to be fine and the world is jerks. This inner cohort and clerk may say, a uh, clique may say, yeah, the situation, you know, sucks, but you handled it completely wrong. Here from mm. my experience is what goes on and this is what you need to do to correct it, right? Mm. We all have people who love us and are going to tell us the world is wrong and we're not. That's not the purpose of this inner cohort or clique. They're there to really give you insider insights that you wouldn't get from anybody else. And I think it's important that it is, and the research is showing this, that this is primarily of other women, because we already know our experiences are different. 
Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. need people to tell us that we're not crazy, or we need people to tell us that here's why we're facing this challenge, and here's what they've experienced in the si- in a similar situation, and here's how they successfully navigated it, or here's the insider information that they got on an employer that you're not going to find from their website. So that's the two networks. And what they find is that successful women really think about this and work those networks. And maybe it's like things that you're thinking to yourself, this is causing me not to perform at my best, or I am second guessing myself. That's what I mean in terms of Mm -hmm. the Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the yeah, non-medical yeah. diagnosis of, of crazy, but we can end up in situations that are just incredibly frustrating and, and debilitating for our well-being uh, and our decision-making. And we internalize it, whereas having someone from the outside look at you and go, it's not you. It's the situation is incredibly helpful. Um, and sometimes our close personal relationships, those best friends, girlfriends you've had forever, or, you know, sisters, sister-in-laws, you know, mothers, they may, they love you so much, their advice may not be the best advice you need for your career. One thing I want to acknowledge to the audience is that Kelly and I discussed before the podcast that there's a need for networking data that looks at women with intersectional identities, because you talked about our experiences are different. Certainly women of color have different experiences than white women in the workplace too. And so I I suspect there's, and people who are non-binary, men of color as well. So uh, putting out this this out there in the world that more research needs to be done. Um, Oh, oh yes. I, I mean, more research on this topic generally, there it's interesting, these studies that I'm finding, Melinda, there's there's a few, and then there's sort of adjacent studies, and most of them on this success of women and what it is that they need, particularly with the networks, typically is looking at it on by industry, maybe an intersection of industry and geography, you know, women entrepreneurs in Northern Ireland, women middle management in Germany. You will find studies particularly with relating to women of color or you know black women in the in the workplace in in the United States you'll find some of those studies but a sort of a multi-layered intersection on this mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have yet to find that I would be yeah. delighted if someone did but I have yet yes. to find that <laughs> yeah. it's needed um so given that we need those um what did you call it? the inner inner circle is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, yeah that the inner, inner circle. circle. Um, how do we build that as women? And and secondly, how can women be better allies as we build these and as our people in our network build these? So first of all, to understand everyone's situation is unique and mm-hmm. how you construct an inner circle and how you choose to interact with it is going to be unique. There's not a single formula. And that is a pattern I am definitely seeing women who are constructing these inner circles for temporary purposes, for longer term purposes, those who have a regularity of a format in terms of when they meet and how they how they engage with their entire inner circle at the same time. And others who create sort of their personal board of directors and individually tap these people, but no what they need. The important thing is for women to think about their careers and write 
at this very moment? What is it that you need? Where's the advice or the guidance that having unfiltered, blunt, similar personal experience would be helpful? And then thinking about where are the right people to get that information from. I think for women, we need to understand, you know, to be that ally, to be helpful to other women's careers. What we need to do is respect the work and contributions of other women. Mm -hmm. We don't need to become best friends. I often say, when someone has a hesitancy in reaching out to someone and I'm like, what's the hesitancy? And I've had this so many times they say to me, well, they don't like me. And I'm like, and that's relevant for what reason? Are you know, like, are you reaching out for a date? Is this, you know, are you looking for a marriage proposal? Are you like, what's the problem here? Do they respect your work? Mm. I think that's the question we need to ask because I think often enough as women, I generally find that that's a, stumbling block for us asking for the help we need and also a stumbling block for giving the help that we should be giving. Do you respect the work the person is doing? Do you need to invest the same amount of time in terms of knowing everything about somebody's life? Absolutely not. You don't need to do those things to be a great ally and help someone else with their career. Yeah, I would say that I am not good at asking for help. And I have really benefited from some men, but mostly women and a few non-binary folks as well, actually, that have reached out and and said, hey, I want to help you in this way, or um, would this be helpful, or would this be helpful? And usually they are actually from, from those Different, they have different networks. They have their, and they're opening doors to those networks for me in one way or another. Well, I think always having a clarity of, of an ask in the sense of right here, right now, what would be helpful? Mm-hmm. What would be something that, and not, it doesn't need to be the biggest goal in your life, but you know, the step, a small milestone that can get you closer to a greater goal. And having the clarity on that, because you're you're really pinpointing something. Your networks want to help you, but they can only help you if you tell them what it is precisely that you need. I think you need to say that again, because I think a lot of women <laughs> need to hear that. <laughs> say that again. <laughs> I mean, I think I probably a lot of men need to hear it. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, uh, as as well. The only way your network can help you is if you are precise in what it is you need help with. So have your networking ask, like, you know, lots of people make a to-do list on a Monday morning, right? Or Sunday night for the week ahead. On that, put a line item. If my network wants to help me this week, what do I need them to help me with? Hmm. And write that down. And, and so if someone says, hey, what can I do for you? You can just can roll off your tongue. And the more precise you are, the easier it is for your network to help you. You have a a chapter in your book called Networking Fail, hashtag fail. Um, what does failure look like for women? I think when a white woman fails, all women fail. Like I think we all women get like get that brush stroke. You know, a white woman starts a company and it fails, like women can't be CEOs. But I think if if it was a black woman who failed, 
it would be like, well, of course, we can't trust black women to lead these things because she's just failed. I don't I think there's sort of that waterfall of, of privilege in terms of stepping away from it. Whereas men, generally speaking, have the luxury of making mistakes and recovering from it. Hmm. The other piece on this, and I think there is something for us to learn and us being women, us to learn from men is, and maybe it's from privileged white men, is, you know, not carrying on and continuing to bear that failure and that mistake. Mm, not dwell. Uh, yeah. And look, yeah. Um, and I, yeah. I, an example, and this is from back from my work life. So it's a very minor one, but I think it illustrates it. Someone showing up for a formal event in the wrong attire. And I remember this attorney showed up to a formal event in his khakis and his rumpled, you know, collared golf shirt. If his date could have killed him with a glance, she did. Mm. Um, You could tell that she was absolutely livid. The guys I know looked at him and said, you are such a jerk for not reading the invitation. And then laughed at him and got over it. Every time there was a formal event after that, the women would bring that incident up again. Like Hmm. that guy could kept committing the same mistake every single time. Hmm. And so I think we need to realize how and when things should just, all right, a mistake was made, acknowledge it, move on. And I'm not saying that to the person who made the mistake. I'm saying that to those of us who observe it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I think it's also the person that, I mean, I think that women and people with underrepresented identities in general tend to sit with failure longer and deeper. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that in society. We have had to work harder to get there usually. And so it feels like a deeper fall, a uh, falling further as a result. And and also that uh, over our lifetimes, we may have been told, you know, thousands of times that we are going to fail. And so we do it and then we believe it. And, and uh, rather than white men with men with privilege tend to, um, you know, this is a definitely a generalization, but tend to grow up and, and it's being okay to fail. And that's how you learn and grow and succeed. Because that's what they're told. Yeah, the, yeah, you know that exactly, that message exactly. that messaging. But you think about for us, and I agree with you one hundred percent with everything you've said. But think about how much of our failure gets compounded by other people, say reliving the failure. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, we want to go here, but um, I'm just thinking about how there might be something to take away and cancel culture there too. Is 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 what do we do there? And um, we continue to let continue to bring up failure over and over again, rather than allow people to evolve. Uh, Interesting. So most of us have men in our networks as well. What is their role in in all of this? Well, we should have a diversity in our networks, you know, so uh, include everyone and and particularly that there's a lot of men who are in decision-making and in the power seat. We we don't want to kick them out of our networks uh, too quickly. Uh, I think, though, my comment is directed more to the men in those positions. And I think in terms of being an ally to others, 
some of their well-intentioned advice needs to be something that they choose to act upon as opposed to dishing it out as the gospel we should follow. Mm. So, for example, um, one affinity group I was speaking to over this past year on a Zoom, and one of the men said, you know, hey, how can I, how can I be a better ally to, you know, the women I mentor? And I said, how many times have you had a situation where one of your mentees has had a problem with a manager or a director who is a, a guy who kind of looks like you? And you've given advice that is sort of just go in there and do this and stand up for yourself and blah, blah, blah. I said, that doesn't work, right? All of a sudden, you know, the woman, the minority is looking, you know, they're being difficult. They're being angry. They're being strident. They're being shrill. They're being aggressive. They're not being confident. I said, on the other hand, if you the mentor went into your peer's office and said, here's what I've observed. You're being a complete jerk. And here's what I would recommend you do to change your behavior, because this is what I have observed and seen and not cool. Like a a guy can go in that, go into another guy's office and, and as a peer say that sort of thing. The way that men can toss things at each other and I'm going to say insults or feedback and they kind of go, oh, really? Why didn't you tell me I was being a jerk before? You know, they can do that sort of thing without the same emotional or career repercussions. But I think a lot of times male allies are well-intentioned with their advice, but their advice is coming from their perspective rather than saying, wow, here's what I could do with my power and my privilege rather than giving advice that, you know, is well-intentioned, but is going to backfire. Great point. Great point. Um, How is networking different right now? I mean, we're in this pandemic and a lot of us are still living in a very virtual world. Some are living in in a hybrid world and probably will continue to go more hybrid over the next few months. Uh, how, How is networking different now in this virtual slash hybrid world? The Biggest problem for all of us right now, beyond internet connections, <laughs> right? And, and perhaps too many Zoom calls, mm. she says teasingly, is go back to what we discussed earlier in our conversation about the two types of networks. That broad, shallow, that wide, shallow network, that acquaintance level network, that's the network that has shrunk for all of us. Hmm. Interesting. That's the dynamic where, you know, maybe you saw someone three times a year at lunch and learns at your office, or maybe it's the people you saw annually because you all go to the same industry conference. Uh, Maybe it's some folks from another department or in the co-working space. And that network we may not have realized before, not only does it add a strength and diversity in our network because of different ideas and the non-overlapping nature of those networks. It also adds to our well-being, you know, our our mental health and our happiness. And I think we've, a lot of people have, have realized the importance of that network. So I think that's the biggest change right now is that awareness that it's not just 
close relationships that add meaning and resilience to our lives and our health and our careers, but this other network um, has as well, does as well. And we need to find ways to rebuild those, not the old acquaintance level networks necessarily, but find ways to add those into our careers and our lives. Because yeah, our health and our career depends on it. Yeah, yeah. I think I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I think after last time we, you and I talked is is that I am missing that. Um, I think I, you know, at Change Catalyst, we we have all of these events and and we do kind of have this very kind of broad network. In um, and what I'm missing is the the in person like at events, speaking at events. It, it, you don't have the same interactions with people. People don't come up afterwards, and and you build relationships. I actually have some most of the people in my inner circle. I met at an event in one way or another. So I also, I think I'm losing, I'm missing that as well right now, that, that that inner circle hasn't expanded in the pandemic very much. Yeah. I say our, our time is finite. Um, yeah. And there is an element of networking that before the pandemic, too many of us put sort of on autopilot. And what the pandemic and needing to be on Zoom and other platforms, we realize how much effort actually goes into making human connections. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. our brain likes to pattern match, as you well know. Our brain defaults to an easy route because at the end of the day, it is an energy conservation engine. It has this rest of this machine to run. So if it can find an easy route, oh, look, there's the same person I talked to last time at this mixer. I will go and talk to that person because that's less energy. Mm-hmm. And what we've also realized besides needing these acquaintance relationships, it actually takes much more effort. And we should be putting much more effort into understanding other people and how we can I want to say be of service and connect with them because then we'll build better relationships and have better connections and have the strong network that we need for our lives and careers. So do you have any tips for how we do that? How do we do that right now? How do we make that happen? I would say take an audit of the Zoom events and activities that you're, you know, you're participating in. You know, are you showing up at the same ones and maybe, you know, Mm. even mixing up something like that? Even if you are showing up at the same events, pay attention to who's there. We're always so worried with networking. You know, in fact, we've moved from the noun to the verb. Mm -hmm. Networking as an activity, we're always worried about what we're going to say, Melinda. How are we going to listen and observe? Mm, Yeah. How are we going to pay attention? Because maybe if we started to pay attention more, Rather than worrying about whether or not we're dropping our LinkedIn profile and a chat on Zoom and telling everyone to connect with us over on LinkedIn, why don't we pay attention to who's there? Why don't we watch and see if we've seen them before? Why don't we go and look, take their name, write their name down, think about the questions they're asking, where they're of interest, and then maybe reach out to them separately and say, gosh, we're showing up at the same events. We likely have a lot in common. Maybe it would be worthwhile for us to chat. This is exactly 
the uh, tactic, a friend of mine, Aaron Kronikin, uh, who is the founder of the Seeing Place Theater here in New York City, this is a tactic she has used during the pandemic, that listening and observing in the networking activities she's chosen to participate in. And she's made some very significant and managed to grow her network at a time when so many people are feeling the shrinkage. So Mm -hmm. what can we do right now? More with your eyes and your ears, more with your powers of observation, more with the tools to learn about other people uh, than just worrying about what we're going to, we're going to say. I think that's how we become better allies too, is by listening, by, by, by listening to what people are doing, what people are needing and finding ways to add value. I would say that a lot of people in my, that what a lot of people that I really value in my network are people that have reached out and said, here, I've listened and here's how I can add, how I might add a value for you. And yeah. Is networking changing in the, in the future? Or is um, What does the future of networking look like as we kind of move into a new world? As I like to say to people, I think we need to be amphibious. We need to understand that this digital way to connect is not going away. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, listen, I've been saying this for a while. I I think there's people who have always looked at building and starting relationships on digital platforms as being sort of secondary or lesser, you know, in terms of the quality of the relationship or its ability to add depth and meaning in our lives. And I think the pandemic is, you know, been a wake up call for many people that we can productively get things done and that we can enhance relationships that we've known with people offline. We can enhance those online and vice versa. So I think the future is, like I said, being amphibious, being able to bring offline relationships online and grow them and vice versa. Last question is, where can people learn more? Where can people learn more about you and your work and follow along as you build your, your, uh, as you write your second book? Well, everything is on my website. So it's probably the best place to go. And that is jkellyhoey.co, J-K-E-L-L-Y-H-O-E-Y.co. Awesome. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. I really appreciate you and appreciate all you have done as an ally for me again and um, and appreciate this conversation. Right back at you. Yeah. And, and so to our audience, my question to you is, I have two questions for you. One is, how will you help someone in your network? And what will you ask your network in terms of how they can help you? What, what ask will you put out there to your network? And if you are looking for more ways to for women to show up for other women as allies, check out episode 13, Women Championing Women with Brenda Darkin Wilkerson. All right. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. To learn more about this episode's topic, visit ally.cc. Allyship is a journey. It's a journey of self-exploration, learning, unlearning, healing, and taking consistent action. And the more we take action, the more we grow as leaders and transform our communities. So what action will you take today? Please share your actions and learning with us by emailing podcast at changecatalyst.co or on social media, because we'd love to hear from you. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel and share this. Let's keep building allies around the world. 
Leading with Empathy and Allyship is an original show by Change Catalyst, where we build inclusive innovation through training, consulting, and events. Appreciate you listening to our show and taking action as an ally. See you next week.